And welcome to yet another episode of Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Our goal is to become the preferred source, your preferred source of reliable information for navigating healthcare decisions from an authentically Christian perspective. Tonight, we're going to do that with attorney Lewis Brown. He's the executive director of the Christ Medicus Foundation and a recent employee of the Department of Health and Human Services in the Office of Civil Rights. He's going to talk to us tonight about what the Medicare for All proposal would mean for those of us not currently on Medicare. Before we get started, I wanted to kind of help set the stage for one of these discussions, you know, Medicare for All, or as some, some, you know, people who would oppose that idea have described it as Medicaid for All. And in framing this discussion, trying to identify the, the pros and cons as well as the dangers, and I'd say primarily the dangers of socialized medica- medicine and government-funded medicine. And kind of in our normal news segment, I wanted to refer our listeners to a book uh, called How Medicaid Fails the Poor. This was written by Avik Roy. He is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and he served as the healthcare advisor uh, the healthcare policy advisor to Mitt Romney during his presidential campaign. He's currently the principal author of the Forbes blog, and he's been a contributor on many news stations regarding economics and healthcare policy. And, and holding this book, I can see that Andrew's biceps are really beefed up because this book could be a substantial doorstop, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it? It depends on the door, I guess. But it's actually very thin. I, book. I think this is a whopping 40 pages. <laughs> it was small enough even I could read it. <laughs> And I think it's readily available on Amazon for about $6. So easy, even an MD or PhD can understand it. <laughs> so I, if anybody finds this podcast and, and uh, radio show interesting today, I'd encourage people to pick up a copy of this to kind of learn a little bit more about the issue. Basically, in, in this book, in kind of the, I want to say, conservative thought process, and, and one might even say a Christian perspective on this, looks at some of the challenges of socialized medicine. The, the book begins with the story of a person, DeMonte Driver. This was a 12-year-old boy who died in Washington, D.C. in 2007, um, not from a, a gang-related shooting. This was a Medicaid patient, not from a drug overdose like so many things we hear in the news. This person died of a toothache. Um, he what? was a 12-year-old boy who had an abscessed tooth, and he had insurance. He had Medicaid in Washington, D.C., and after they identify that he was having this tooth pain, his mother called around and spent literally months trying to find a physician who would see him because most of the physicians did not accept Medicaid. Then they were able to be evaluated. However, after they feel they realized that the tooth was abscessed, they then had to have a procedure to have the tooth removed. This took, again, several more months, and before he had his surgery, for a simple tooth extraction, he actually had the abscess eat into his brain and he died of meningitis. A 12-year-old boy with health insurance. And so that highlights one of the primary fallacies of Medicare for all, Medicaid for all, is that health insurance somehow equals access to health care and equals access to good health care. That is false. That is not true. And we see that play out every day in our practice. One of the things that we've identified, depending on where you live in the country, is that so few physicians accept Medicaid. Medicaid was created almost as an afterthought in 1965 when LBJ and a progressive-run government system with supermajorities of Democrats, both in the Senate and the House, approved Medicare, uh, Part B for physicians and Part A for hospital care. Now, Andrew, with the case you brought up, if I were to play devil's advocate, they would say, well, see, the problem is we don't force all physicians to take this. And if we did have Medicaid for all, then that would be the only game in town for physicians. Right. That's I mean, that's the obvious next step. But then you don't have to look uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away to see (laughs) the next step to that equation. You just have to look across the pond in Europe. And they do have state-sponsored health coverage. And nobody wants it. 
everybody with any means whatsoever pays out of their pocket for their own care, and they forgo the state-sponsored care. And that's one of the things that this book identifies is that there's been several studies. Uh, one of the most salient that I, I appreciated was from the University of Pennsylvania that showed that people with state-sponsored health coverage, namely Medicaid, actually did worse. They had worse health outcomes than people with no insurance whatsoever. Wow. Do you have any idea when that was published? This book was published around the time of Obamacare. And one of the, the salient things that is discussed in this book is the Medicaid expansion. You know, Medicaid used to be a safety net just for the poorest of the poor. However, after Obamacare, the people who qualify for Medicaid has expanded so much the number of people who are on government assistance expanded so much that we now have many normal working class, middle class families on Medicaid. And I've personally had patients in my office in tears saying, you know, I never thought of myself as somebody on government assistance. I just bought a new car. I can afford a brand new car, but I'm still on Medicaid, you know. And so I think there's not only the issue of the quality of care, but there's also the issue of the loss of human dignity when they don't have the autonomy to choose the care that they want. I think something that might be useful for our listeners, because, you know, we, we know this being in medicine every day, but can you explain what the difference is between Medicare and Medicaid? Yeah. So Medicare is designed primarily for older folks um, and for those who are permanently disabled. It is funded primarily through a line item on your paycheck stub. You pay into Medicare every paycheck. And the thought is, is that when you retire, those are benefits that you've already paid for and you've already earned. It was supposed to be a self-funded plan. However, with the demographic shifts of people living longer and having fewer children, this is no longer sustainable. Medicaid, on the other hand, was not funded in the same way. It was funded where the state has to come up with about half of the money, depending on the state, and then the federal government comes up with half the money. And so this has led to a major problem where politicians basically have to invest a dollar and they'll get $2 worth of return on it. So it looks very good to constituents about things that you can do expanding, giving all of these benefits. And you know that taxpayers in some other state are going to be footing a large portion of your bill. However, the problem is, is that this care is substandard because so many physicians can't accept it. I was looking through some of the most recent data, and it's different state to state, but where DeMonte Driver lived in Washington, D.C., for the same service, a doctor would be paid about 38% of what a normal patient would be paid, uh, a normal service would be covered by commercial insurance. So that's about one-third. And as a result, if a doctor who's trying to make ends meet and employ several people in his office has to decide, I can only see one patient in this slot, do I pay do I, do I see the patient that pays the normal amount to cover my costs, or do I see someone who pays, you know, the insurance pays a third of what the, the costs are? Well, and we've figured in our practice with some of these patients and how hard it is to get paid and how much of our staff time it took, it actually would be better financially for us to just see them free than to see them for what Medicaid paid and go through all the machinations it took to get the little bit of money from Medicaid. It's, it's very frustrating, especially as, you know, ethical Christian providers, because we know that we have a duty to care for everyone and especially a special duty towards the poor. However, even here in Indiana, where we record the show, there's been recent changes to Medicaid reimbursement. So we've just identified in our practice, we actually lose money on every Medicaid patient we see. It'd be better if we didn't see them. And so it, it puts doctors in a very challenging situation where, you know, you, you want to care for folks. However, the government's put you in a position where you cannot financially care for people and stay solvent as a practice. And then it's put these patients in a position where their human dignity is really minimized because they can't achieve normal health care access they and they don't get same the same health care outcomes either because there was another study that uh, this book quoted very saliently that showed compared to someone with commercial insurance if you have Medicaid you're about twice as likely to die if you go into the hospital and it's not because you're a sicker person or someone who doesn't understand health care you'll hear about all those arguments but purely because of your access to health care because people don't take Medicaid, or if they do take Medicaid, you have to wait longer for an appointment. 
I see this every day as a family doctor when I refer patients that I care for with Medicaid to specialists, and sometimes the, the soonest appointment that they can be seen is over a year away, or they have to drive two hours to see someone. It, it puts patients in a very tough situation, but it sounds like a great idea given everybody, quote unquote, free health care. We all know nothing's free, to be frank, you know, just first off, somebody's paying for it, namely the taxpayers. But then even what you're getting for free, people literally do worse and they die sooner and more often, about twice as often on Medicaid than if they had no insurance whatsoever. Uh, Andrew, are there any other key points you want to make before we end this quarter of the show? No, I mean, I think I think the thing that we have to do is get beyond the catchphrases, beyond the Twitter phrases of things are free and it will be better if it's free and the government will take care of you. I'm from the government. I'm here to help is probably the scariest thing I've ever heard. And I'm really excited to talk to Lewis Brown, especially with his recent experience working in D.C. and then his long history working in healthcare policy. Yes. Lewis is going to be a great guest to hear. Before we bring him on the show, I have a related medical trivia question for today. Between the years of 1970 and 2017, that's a 47-year period, the proportion of health care spending that each of us individuals paid out of pocket decreased from one-third of all of our health care costs to just one-tenth. That's 33% down to 10%. In 1970, government insurance, and this includes Medicare, Medicaid, the Veterans Administration System, and military medical care, accounted for 22% of healthcare dollars. So about 50 years ago, about one-fifth of healthcare dollars was spent by the government. How much, what percent of our healthcare dollars are spent by the government today? So has it changed? Is it less than 22%, still at 22%, or more than 22%, and how much more is it? We're not going to tell you until we're all done with the third segment of our show. So stay tuned. And after this break, we'll be back with attorney Lewis Brown. And we are back with our guest for today, attorney Lewis Brown. Lewis is now the executive director of the Christ Medicus Foundation, which was founded in 1997. And as they say, their purpose is to reclaim Christ-centered health care by reforming both corporate and public policy so that what? So that we, God's people, can have a conscientious choice in selecting health care. Now, Lewis took over as executive director in 2014, and then he left for about 19 months and worked in government in the Department of Health and Human Services in the Office of Civil Rights until uh, March of this year, 2019. Lewis received a bachelor's degree from Michigan State University in political economy, go Spartans. Uh, of course, my, um, my co-conspirator here, Andrew Mullally, is a graduate of their medical school. Lewis graduated from Howard University Law School in the District of Columbia. He's worked for both a Republican congressman and a Democratic senator and a state Catholic conference and has practiced private law in uh, Michigan in both labor law and civil litigation. And now he returned just last month that we're taping this back in March of 2019 to the Christ Medicus Foundation. And he says he believes the ultimate mission of the foundation is to share the healing love of God in healthcare and to help build what St. John Paul II called a civilization of love and justice. Lewis, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Thank you. It's uh, great to discuss these important topics with you and just very grateful for the service you all are providing to the community through this show. So it's awesome. This is wonderful. You know, Lewis, I want you to reflect when President Obama was promoting the Affordable Care Act, known colloquially as Obamacare, he often said, if you like your physician, you can keep your physician. He also said, if you like your insurance, you'll be able to keep your insurance. We learned that those things were not true. In fact, the Affordable Care Act, which was focused mostly on health care insurance rules and forcing insurance to cover certain items, seems to have been just a temporary plan among the so-called progressives who now want a single-payer health care system now referred to as Medicare for all. It's, it's almost scary what happened today that we're taping this. Tell our audience what happened just several hours ago, Lewis. Yeah, today, uh, Senator Sanders, senator from Vermont, released uh, legislation in the Senate that is called the Medicare for All Act of 2019. 
obviously Senator Sanders is a presidential candidate, uh, and three, at least three other presidential candidates also signed on to this legislation on the, on the Democratic side of the aisle. And I really think it goes a wrong direction for American society. It's definitely largely contrary to our uh, principles that we understand as Christians and as Catholics, and it has great aims. Uh, but I think uh, it, we will see that it's not a direction we want the country to go. So I think the best thing we can do, Lewis, is to start by seeing, comparing our current health care system sure. to Medicare for all and then to what a Catholic principle system would look like. So right now, the current health care system we have that includes Obamacare, how does it follow and not follow Catholic principles in a variety of areas of your choosing? Sure. I, I, you know, there's a couple ways of looking at it. Um, health care is, we as Catholics uh, very much believe that we have a foundational right to life, right? And as part of that right to life, uh, there's a right to have access to medical care. There's a right to receive medical care. John Paul II talked about that. The bishops have talked about that for a long time. However, it doesn't mean that the government has to pay for all of those services to guarantee that right. But nonetheless, one measure of our health care system is do people have access to care that are firms of human dignity? Now, there is a broad level of access to care for a lot and probably most of Americans in the United States, uh, but it's clearly inadequate. A lot of folks uh, are uninsured. A lot of folks who are materially impoverished don't have the care that they should be receiving. Uh, the current system, uh, before the Affordable Care Act, wasn't working as it could have. Uh, it's clearly not working even now. The Affordable Care Act did do some good things. One of the things it did was it gave more people access to care. Health insurance isn't a uh, sole determinant of whether people have access to medical care. The key, the key isn't whether folks have insurance. Uh, the key is whether folks have access to actual medical care. Can I go see a doctor? Can I go see a nurse? Can I have my needs taken care of? The Affordable Care Act did do some good things to uh, provide more uh, care to more people, but it did it in a lot of uh, ways that I think are inconsistent uh, with Catholic social teaching. So one of those things is the principle of subsidiarity balanced with the principle of solidarity. Another way of saying it is we, we, should, uh, we should be in solidarity with the poor, right? Our, our needs are their needs. Uh, whether there's a level of justice in society is largely determined uh, by whether folks who are uh, the most materially impoverished that are, the, that are uh, suffering the most what is the level of, of human dignity that uh, we provide for them as a society, right? So um, uh, in, in many respects, that's a, key, that's a key question that we have to ask ourselves as Catholics. Is this policy uh, uh, really providing for the needs of the poor? On the other hand, we have the principle of subsidiarity. We know that problems are best solved closest to the problem through the family, through the church, through the community. Um, while aspects of the Affordable Care Act got it right on solidarity, uh, really got it wrong on subsidiarity. It, it made the government the center of the American health care system and not the person, uh, the, the patient, and it really disrupted that doctor-patient relationship. How, how have you seen efficiency in health care change with the Affordable Care Act, and how would you anticipate it changing with Medicare for All? Yeah, I, I think you know Senator Sanders and his team are making an argument when it comes to Medicare for all that everyone, you know, most Americans being in one government-run system will eliminate all types of waste, all types of administrative cost. Uh, that that may be true, uh, but that's at the cost of eliminating extraordinary uh, uh, extraordinary amounts of patient freedom. You know, the, the ability of a patient to choose the, the vehicle that is going to pay for their health care, to choose what health care option do they want. Do they want to do direct primary care where they pay, they have a more direct relationship with their physician and they just pay their physician cash? Do they want to do health sharing? Do they want to be able to make their health decisions through a health savings account? Uh, it really forces all Americans eventually to participate in a government-run program where they dictate the services that are being provided in those government-provided uh, health insurance plans. And so perhaps they're creating some level of efficiency by putting everyone in a uniform system, but that's at the expense of consumers 
of patients having uh, the the freedom to make the decisions they want to make in their care and how they pay for that care. It, it seems to me one of the things, just taking it as an analogy, our current government-sponsored plans that we might suffer a little bit in efficiency as well because, uh, you know, health care is not cheap. And as the cost of care gets more expensive just on a whole from the, the types of care we're providing, the cost of drugs and surgeries and whatnot, when you look at plans like Medicaid, the only recourse that they've had to curb some of that spending is to cut cut uh, reimbursement to hospitals and doctors. And then as a consequence, you have a lot of doctors saying, I'm not even going to participate in this. What what would right. prevent uh, the, the Medicare for All program from really just alienating doctors and then getting something similar to, to your European countries where you have doctors saying, I'm just not even going to participate in this. You can have the residents take care of you on the state plans, and anybody with means will, will opt for an alternative private model. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's something I would need to look into the bill a little bit more. But the question I would, I would have is, will physicians, uh, folks that run medical practices, if they want to participate in a government-controlled health insurance system, essentially a single-payer system, this Medicare for All system, if they want to participate with all within the healthcare industry, do they even have the choice? And I think that's a real question. And I think it depends upon the way that it's structured, but I don't think that there would be a meaningful choice by most physicians, by most healthcare entities, of you know if they want to exist of whether they can participate in this not it's 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 this one vehicle and it's either you're in or you're out altogether so right now with our current system physicians and patients have the choice of which insurance plans they will or will not participate in is that true lewis that's that's correct yeah a, a, a high level of choice currently right correct. and that, and i want to be able to compare and contrast are there any other key things that you think are good or bad with the current healthcare system, we should point out before comparing them to Medicare for all, and then a quote ideal Catholic-based system. Uh, yeah, I, I do think that that there are a couple. the The Affordable Care Act uh, was very much used as a weapon to really uh, decrease religious freedom in healthcare. You looked at the contraceptive mandate where employers were initially required to. Uh, provide contraceptives for their uh, employees. You look at what was called the transgender mandate, a regulation that HHS issued that uh, would have required doctors to provide uh, transgender surgeries or be accused of uh, 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 committing discrimination and losing all their government HHS funding. Um, A number of those things were pushed back by, uh, uh, by the federal judiciary and put on hold or limited in some form or fashion. Um, I think we can talk about it more when we talk about Medicare for All, but doing some very quick reading of the uh, the line-by-line within the legislation, it's very clear that uh, Senator Sanders and those that support his efforts and and the other presidential candidates that support that bill, they want to go all the way on those things. And so while as bad as the Affordable Care Act was in terms of it did put some limits on uh, on consumer freedom for those that wanted to ch- to participate uh, in some of the exchanges at the Affordable Care Act where people can buy health insurance. It put some limits on religious freedom. It didn't. It wasn't quite as bad as it could have been. I think with two things in particular, we can talk about later in the Medicare for All legislation. Uh, Senator Sanders is essentially going all the way, and I'm not sure there's any coming back from it uh, if it were to come. Now, Lewis, when I heard you speak a few days ago in Indianapolis, you made an excellent point that I'd like you to make to our listeners here. And you said, right now, we only have one small avenue of recourse if our religious freedom or consciences are being violated in medicine. But what is that? How tenuous is that that support? Yeah, it's very tenuous. Within the federal sphere, uh, on the federal level, if a nurse midwife, a, a physician, a doctor, or a healthcare corporation or hospital system has um, their, uh, uh, their right of religious freedom or their right of conscience violated, the only recourse they have to vindicate that precious foundational right is to file a complaint with the Department of Health and Human Services and its Office for Civil Rights. Uh, that's an administrative complaint process that largely 
uh, depends on who's in the White House. Uh, it, it's it's an administrative complaint process is very important, has a lot of force if done appropriately. Uh, but you have one person in the White House, maybe it's not enforced the way it should be. You have another person in the White House, it's enforced appropriately. When, when we're thinking about religious freedom and conscience and health care, we're talking about one of the most foundational rights that we can have as a constitutional republic, as a, as a constitutional republic and a democratic system. When it's dependent upon such a, a, flims, a flimsy level of enforcement, something that blows in the wind that can ebb and flow based on who's in the White House, it's not enough. It's not enough. And so uh, medical doctors, physicians, midwives, they should be able to go into federal court and have uh, the rights vindicated. There's a saying that where, the, where, where there's no remedy, there's no right, and where there's a right, there must be a remedy. Uh, the remedy at HHS, you know, for folks to file a complaint, an administrative complaint with HHS and its Office of Civil Rights, that's great, but it's not a sufficient remedy for such an important right. Uh, you, folks like yourselves that are doctors, healthcare corporations, need to be able to go to federal court, have the rights vindicated, uh, and that's something that I'm hoping will happen in the future, but it's not available right now. So there, there's no private right of action. If your rights are assaulted, you can't turn around and sue the hospital that assaulted your rights, correct? You not can... in federal court. Not currently in federal court. Man, that is and sad. And that's a real travesty. Well, it is very sad. Lewis, we're going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to be right back. Thank you so much for being on. We're going to have a lot more questions here on Dr. Doctor. And we're back from the studios of Redeemer Radio with the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, Dr. Doctor. And we are here today discussing with attorney Lewis Brown some of the concerns about our current health care system, what it might look like under Medicare for All, and ideally what it would look like under the principles of Catholic social justice teachings. And so Bernie Sanders today brought out this bill for Medicare for All. Okay, so Lewis, if you could, could you describe just in a nutshell what Medicare for All is and how it would differ from what we have today? Right. Today we have a world where um, Americans really have a lot of freedom uh, to choose how uh, and where they will receive their health care. Um, if folks want to you know, pay for their health care through health insurance, they're free to do that. If folks want to accept the uh, insurance, the health insurance that's offered through their employer, they're free to do that. If folks want to opt out of the health insurance that's offered by, by their employer and just do a health savings account, they're free to do that. Uh, if folks decide that uh, they want to participate in uh, Medicaid, you know, and then they qualify for those for those benefits. They're free to do that. If folks would rather do something such as health sharing, uh, where uh, Christians come together to participate uh, in a ministry in which uh, Christians themselves directly pay for each other's medical costs, they're free to do that. If folks want to uh, opt out again of, of of health insurance or do a high deductible health insurance plan with with some limited coverage, but then come back and say, you know what, I'm going to do this high deductible health insurance plan, but I'm also going to do uh, direct primary care where I'm going to pay a physician a very small fee every month to take to provide all the care for my family month to month, no matter how much care we need. But I love this doctor and I don't want anything interrupting that doctor-patient relationship. So that's what I'm going to do. They're free to do that. Um, what Senator Sanders has proposed and several of the leading Democratic candidates who have also uh, co-sponsored this legislation is a, a system in which um, virtually all Americans over time are transitioned into a government-run, single-payer health insurance system, really substantially reducing patient freedom really substantially reducing uh, uh, patient freedom to choose their health care decisions. And so that is a radical, it is a radical change from what we currently have. It's a change in which the government is the center of all health care decisions. What's good for the state? What's good for the government? Not what's good for the human person. Not what's good for the, that person and their family. Not, not what's good for that person, their family, and God but rather what's good for the state, what's good for the government. So that, that's the first massive change. Uh, as Catholics, we know that we want to see uh, folks that are uninsured, 
folks that have pre-existing conditions, folks that are materially impoverished, that are poor, have access to care. Uh, but it doesn't have to be done this way. There are other ways. There's a lot of other alternatives. Uh, this is a catastrophically uh, bad way to go. It's a real failure uh, of public policy. So that's the first thing is is a, a serious, substantial decrease in consumer and patient freedom in their health care decisions and how to pay for those decisions. The other two things that are very troubling, and it, and it comes just from the text of the legislation, the way that the legislation is written, it's very clear that physicians would be absolutely forced to uh, provide uh, transgender reassignment surgery, surgery and treatments that would facilitate empower gender transitioning, regardless of whether it's consistent with their conscience, regardless of whether it's consistent with their faith. What the or even consistent with medical data. That shows right. a, even more importantly, that's correct, Dr. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Lewis, one, one of the things to kind of to draw off of the points you've brought up, you know, who who is going to, you know, ideally when a, a bill is introduced, it's to benefit someone. Out of patients, you know, thinking of poor patients, middle class patients, rich patients, sick patients, who is going to benefit from this bill and who's going to be hurt by this bill? There's an, there's, it's important to understand that you know, when we when we think about uh, the gospel and how to apply the gospel to the structure of our society, about how important it is to care for people that are really, really suffering uh, medically, um, uh, emotionally, psychologically, and don't have access to, to all the care that they have. It's a deprivation of the love of God and some human need they have. It's so important that we do that. But we can do that in a, in a in a world in which we also have patient freedom, consumer freedom, religious freedom, and preserve the dignity of the human person. That's not what this offers. This offers a world in which we are really crushing the ability of an individual or a family to make choices for themselves, uh, for their community, for their society, uh, and and it's, it's it's a false choice. In addition to the, the fact that it would essentially resurrect the transgender mandate that the Obama administration attempted to uh, issue, uh, the reading of the legislation suggests that all health insurance uh, within this government Medicare for All program would be required to provide comprehensive, uh, a certain level of, of comprehensive uh, care. And the way that it's written, we understand that in, in the context of the way the bill is written, what comprehensive care is, is a loaded term, uh, as it's used in the legislation, to mean to include uh, abortion services. And so it's clear to me that the legislation, uh, as it's written currently, uh, would, uh, would effectively establish a federal abortion mandate throughout the system. There wouldn't be health insurance plans uh, within this government single-payer uh, insurance mandate that would be able to participate without offering abortion coverage. And that's a travesty. And, tra- and would it get rid of health-sharing ministries like yours at CMF Curo? I, I, that's not clear. I think it would, it would have to, uh, we'd have to look into the legislation a little bit more. It was just released. Um, it would also be somewhat dependent upon some of the, I believe, some of the regulatory decisions that the Department of Health and Human Services would make, and presumably this wouldn't be until years from now. Um, but, but the idea that we would be enshrining into federal law a requirement that all health insurance plans on this government for all, Medicare for all system would, would cover abortion is unthinkable. It, it makes me recall an article from the New England Journal of Medicine written by Ezekiel Emanuel, who is the, the bioethicist for Obamacare, who said right. if, if you disagree with abortion or physician-assisted suicide or other things that are medically um, approved of in some way, then you should not be a doctor. Do, do you think under a Medicare for All system that people with any ethical moorings that they hold firm, could, could you even practice medicine or would people with any kind of morals be forced out of the medical realm? Yeah, I, I think it would be a real challenge. Um, I, I think it would be a real challenge. Um, usually with legislation that's this comprehensive, that's this big, um, a lot of compromises are made 
Um, there's a lot of sausage making, as, as folks like to say, uh, and so it's hard to see how it would come out. Um, but if you're a doctor that, that out of a love and a care for patients does not want to participate uh, in transgender reassignment surgery or gender transitioning because of the way that it causes such great destruction uh, to that person over time, if you're a doctor that doesn't want to participate in abortion uh, because you know of the damage that it does, uh, uh, obviously to the unborn child, but even uh, even so much to, to that mother as well, both emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. If you're a doctor uh, that really wants to make decisions based on what's best for the patient and not based on the dictates of bureaucrats, most of whom uh, don't really have uh, the uh, the medical background that a doctor would have uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, it's going to be very hard for you to participate in this system. I can only imagine how future generations um, uh, that that hold a holistic, uh, a integrated view of the human person, of human dignity, of life, will say, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm just not going to go into healthcare. I see that happening, uh, and so it's really pushing so much of the population that holds life to be dear, that holds religious freedom to be dear, and that has an integrated, scientifically, biologically based understanding of the human person. It's putting them, pushing them out of the healthcare field altogether. Lewis, something I've noticed when traveling in, in Europe is that Europeans are astounded that Americans don't wholeheartedly embrace the idea of a single-payer healthcare system like their countries have. It, it confounds them. And does the data indeed support that Americans view in government uh, view government involvement in healthcare differently than foreigners? And if so, why are we so different than other countries? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of. I mean, that's a that's a big question. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I, Americans clearly do have a difference uh, of opinion, a philosophical uh, viewpoint that's different from what's in Europe. Um, it can't be stressed enough that it's laudable. Uh, for anyone to want to do what they can, uh, either in the private realm or in the public sphere, to ensure that folks have the medical care they need. It just shouldn't be done in a way that crushes human freedom and human flourishing. Um, Americans uh, have a different perspective. And I think if you look at, uh, not to turn this into a history lesson, but Alexis de Tocqueville, who uh, who was a Catholic, uh, who was a Frenchman who came to the United States not that long after the founding, noticed the unique nature of the United States. Uh, he very much respected our constitutional democracy, our republic, but one of the things that he really keyed on was the vitality uh, and the, the vibrancy of, of civil society in the United States, the way that Americans, on their own volition, uh, formed communities uh, and, and protected each other, came to each other's mutual aid, uh, and, and saw the government as, uh, to an extent, as an important, um, uh, an important solution to the problems of society, but a solution that should, should only be used where civil society uh, can't provide uh, the need. And I think we, we still have that in, in the United States of America. The government has a very important role in providing for the common good, but we believe in a world in which uh, families, where churches, where communities, where the local government, where the state government has a significant role because we know best what's going on within our own communities, within our own backyards, and the federal government should be reserved to do things of, of, of national import that can't otherwise be done. Uh, we also have a very strong sense of, of faith and the role of faith and the role of the church in society and see that as something that must be uh, allowed to, to, to enter into and provide solutions to our societal problems in a way that Europe just doesn't quite believe in anymore. And this is a, it's kind of really a, a very unique uh, way of being and way of thinking in the United States that, that's very different. And um, Lewis, I, I want to talk yeah, specifically about that, about the, the role of faith and what healthcare would look like based on Christian principles. If we could sure. get back to that right after this next break, coming to you from Dr. Doctor. This is Dr. Doctor, the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, coming back with the trivia question and answer. Yes, to repeat, between 1970 
In 2017, the proportion of healthcare spending that individuals paid out of pocket decreased drastically from 33% of all healthcare spending to only 10%. At that same time in 1970, government medical insurance, that includes Medicare, Medicaid, the VA, and the military, accounted for 22% of healthcare dollars. Today, what percent of medical care is paid for by government dollars? It may shock you, but that number has gone up dramatically, from 22%, or about one-fifth, to 41%, or about two-fifths. So in other words, it's almost doubled in the last 50 years. Well, and, you know, the, the lead into the question describes how the costs, the out-of-pocket costs, have gone down as a percentage of health care costs. But that does two things. It kind of shows me. One, it, it doesn't describe the actual dollar amount, which I think has gone up, even though the proportion has gone down. Right. I think it more speaks towards the percentage of health care dollars that we have a say over if it's providing health care that's ethical, available, and efficient in our mind, as opposed to now twice as much being decided by somebody else regarding your health care. And now with this new plan, we just discussed the very basics of Medicare for All. It would be virtually 100% would be through the government, which of course all comes from the people, but uh, it's unwillingly. It's all free, Tom. It's it, all it, free. It's all free. Well, like Solzhenitsyn uh, wrote in Cancer Ward, uh, universal free government health care uh, universal, yes, free, no. It's not free. Well, and, and it's impersonal. And, Lewis, so we've talked about kind of the, the current health care system. We've talked about Medicaid for all. I'm Medicare. sorry, Medicare for all. Some people call it Medicaid for all. We'll see. <laughs> and what, what would it look like in your mind if we had a health care system based on Catholic principles? That's a great, great question, Andrew, and I, I think it's something that um, – we need to speak about as much as we can across the country to as many Catholics as we can. Coming back to what I said earlier, the choice the choice we face can be looked at as in a, in a lot of different ways, but I think one foundational way is do we want an American system, American health care system, an American health care structure that puts the patient at the center and their needs, the human person at the center and all all their dignity with all the implications uh, for the reality of their human dignity uh, versus the state and the government at the center. In a Catholic vision of healthcare in the United States, it's a world in which we accomplish really th three objectives. The first objective is to respect the dignity of the human person at the beginning of life and all the way through to the end of life across the spectrum making sure that we're providing both access, making sure that we're uh, uh, avoiding any type of discrimination, uh, making sure that, uh, that the costs are such that it's meaningfully available, that there's meaningful access to medical care, uh, and that, that access to medical care is provided uh, through multiple means, through a private market, uh, through the community, through the church, through a robust state social safety net, through a social safety net at the federal level, and using this creative, the, all of these creative solutions together to provide that care in a way that respects the human person at the beginning of life all the way to the end of life. So that principle of human dignity and that respect and that manifesting itself within the healthcare system. The second way to, to think about this and what a Catholic healthcare system would look like is one uh, that that that, res that really respects uh, life, and so that's a situation where um, not only uh, is abortion not healthcare, and therefore it's not funded, it's not provided for at all within the healthcare system, but we are really providing all the means that families that mothers in particular need to flourish with their children uh, such that doing anything else but carrying the baby to term uh, and being the best mother possible for that child is unthinkable because there is, is such a, a embarrassment of riches for that mother to accompany her through uh, raising her child. Uh, and so that principle of life. Uh, we also have to think about uh, what's often called the preferential option for the poor uh, and ensuring that that access is real, that we have a health care system uh, that is not just for the few, but it, it is for 
the mini and we're exercising what's called the preferential option for the poor, that the first question that we're asking when it comes to health care access is do the folks that most need it, uh, those that are unemployed, those that don't have jobs, those that are homeless, those that are uninsured, those that have pre-existing conditions, do 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 they have a way of receiving the care, the love of God that they are entitled to by virtue of their human dignity, uh, of of the fact that they are children of God? Those are are, are three broad ways of thinking it. Um, what we're told by many forces is that the only way that we can accomplish Medic, uh, a medical, a world in which medical access is a reality for all people, is to uh, run over and diminish the first two. Is to ensure that uh, that that there is a, a a crushing of the reality of the human person, uh, and to ensure that there is no meaningful respect for life. And and that's not true. Uh, it's a false choice. All three of uh, these important principles are possible. And so we look at, what, well, what does that mean? That's Maybe that's an abstract way of looking at it. What are the vehicles of allowing that to happen? I think we can look at uh, really four or five uh, big kind of moonshots, so to speak, uh, that are important ways that we should go probably and seek as Christians, as Catholics. Uh, the first thing is to uh, ensure that that there's a strong federal safety net uh, that really does provide care, but that's balanced with a strong uh, safety net at the states, that states are given more freedom. You look at Medicaid waivers, they're really given more care to provide for the people in their own state because they're closest to that problem. Um, also, So that's subsidiarity. Yeah, please go ahead. And that's subsidiarity, yeah. Which is a bed, one of the four bedrock Catholic principles of social teaching. That's right. And uh, another part of this is that you know, like Catholics, I found that we are always both and, not either or. Medicare for all right. sounds like an either or. It's either the government or the private sector, but but not both. We as Catholics are not saying there is no role for federal government and no role for state government, but just like the both and, it's like Christ is not just God or just man. He's both God and man. We're not saved just by faith, but by faith and works. And And so in the same way, in the real world, it's often a both-and solution. Would you say that would be a correct way to view it? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We don't actually have to lose, you know, just because we're protecting life, protecting religious freedom and the dignity of the human person. Um, you know, not only are we not not losing medical access for those that need it the most, we're actually ensuring they get the right kind of medical care. It's not just that it's uh, it's that it's consistent with our faith. It's actually better care for them, and so that's that's why you the beauty of of the state being engaged uh, in the medical needs of their citizenry, the beauty of the federal government being engaged uh, for for the rest of the social safety net, the beauty of having uh, a more robust options in health sharing and more robust options when it comes to uh, direct primary care, uh, a type of concierge care that used to be just offered to the wealthy, but that's now offered even to that's even affordable now uh, to the working poor. Uh, the ability to control your health care through health savings accounts and, and exploding those health savings accounts so there's even more options and many diversified health insurance plans through the private market. Those things together um, are, are part of a comprehensive package that could allow for life to flourish and for folks that are insured to have the care they need and for the poor to have the care and for religious freedom to be respected. Lewis. Those things are all... Are all, uh, are all possible. In the last two minutes, tell the listeners, what can they do if they feel like there's nothing that they can do? What can they do to help promote Catholic principles in health care? I think we have to have a bold vision, and I think that we have to uh, stand on our principles, what we know to believe to be true. And, and what we're seeing right now, it's largely a failure in some respects of, of a moral uh, imagination of who we can be as a country. Um, what Catholics can do in this time uh, is a few things. The first thing is ensure that you and your family are making a your health care decisions for your family that puts Christ in the center. Look at your health insurance plan. See what type of coverage is it. If, if there's abortion coverage within uh, the health insurance plan, uh, find another 
health insurance plan uh, if that's best for your if it's best for your family to do health insurance that doesn't have abortion coverage. If if that's not possible, are there other health care options outside of insurance that promote life? Uh, that's number one. Number two is read as much as you can and be sober-minded about the reality of a socialist medical system and understand the beauty of a free market system uh, where there's a robust social safety net that gives patients freedom, that gives consumers and doctors freedom, but that provides for the poor. Uh, the third thing is to be engaged as much as you can in your community, locally, federally, politically. To be politically engaged, I'm not talking about voting and campaigns, but I'm talking about to be active and to fulfill your duty as an American to be engaged in the political process uh, and, and to ensure that you can articulate what we believe, the rich history, the rich, the rich imagination that comes from God about what we can do in healthcare as a church. Those are just a few ways where Catholics can begin to engage. But if we don't engage, we're really really two years away potentially from a healthcare system that's radically different where there are less choices uh, that, that crushes freedom and crushes life. And Lewis, your uh, website there's, there's is? There must be a better way. What's your website? Uh, cmfcuro.com or christmedicus.org. C-M-F-C-U-R-O or Christmedicus, M-E-D-I-C-U-S. Thank you, Lewis, very much. Thank you, listeners, for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor, not only the official radio program, but the official podcast of the Catholic Medical Association brought to you from the studios of Redeemer Radio. Please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend and invite them to listen to us on iTunes or Google Play Podcasts. And be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor, where we will be discussing current national healthcare legislation such as Medicare for All with Indiana Senator Mike Braun. This is Dr. Tom McGovern and Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until next time for your dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at RedeemerRadio.com doctor. And tune in for Dr. Doctor on Redeemer Radio every Friday and Saturday afternoon at 1 or find new episodes at RedeemerRadio.com doctor.